Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on Sunday morning of week one. Week one is not entirely complete yet, but we wanted to go ahead and delve into uh, three days worth of action, but in particular Saturday. And Bruce, you had a, a, I would say, you know, even better than front row seat for one of the more uh, eventful results from Saturday. You were the sideline reporter for LSU UCLA. You've been telling us for months that UCLA was going to be this much improved physical team. I was very skeptical. I think most people were skeptical. Though that's exactly what they went and did to LSU. What was it like there at the Rose Bowl? Stu, my ears are still ringing from last night. Um, it was a really fun atmosphere. I know a lot of people you know, last week noticed, Hey, there was so many empty seats at the Rose bowl when they played Hawaii. And, you know, they kind of just kind of smirk at, at the vibe around the Rose bowl. And the place was, was basically packed and there was a bunch of LSU fans, but it wasn't, I, at one point I thought it was going to be 50, 50. It was probably 75, 25 or so um, UCLA, but it was, there was a really good energy in the building. I thought, from our meetings we went to practice on friday just there was a lot of confidence about what they they feel like they have become at ucla and so chip kelly had told us you know you got to remember that for context when he first got there they had 63 players go through spring practice they had 115 this year and the, the first year he had 57 scholarship guys, maybe seven scholarship offensive linemen. Now they're well over 80 scholarship guys. It's just, it had built to this. And so I think like you, LSU, it was really interesting. Tommy Moffitt is LSU's strength coach and he's been at LSU for a long time, but before that he was at Tennessee. He's been around some big, big time programs and he said, he goes, wow, they are a really good looking football team. As you know, he's watching them warm up. And, and I said, they look like an SEC team, right? He goes, yeah, they really do look like an SEC team. And I don't, I want to say they look better than LSU because LSU has a ton of like long, really athletic guys too, but they look like an SEC team. They run the football as well, if not better than a lot of SEC teams are going to run it. And I just think, you know, when you look at, Zach Charbonnet, the two best players on the field last night were Zach Charbonnet and Kayshawn Boutte. I mean, those guys were all American caliber players, but I thought what we knew Chip Kelly was going to have wrinkles for LSU and similar to what he's had, you know, he'll put him in for, you know, a lot of games. I mean, we saw it. They were actually in his, the first uh, L, L, UCLA USC game I did in his first year. 
they did a lot of stuff that just USC had no answers. And so, you know, what we saw a lot of last night was a lot of wide zone run game, but it was instead of the down blocks, there's pullers coming at guys. And so it's a lot of pressure on the outside and it puts so many, you know, basically secondary guys having to make all these one-on-one tackles. And that's a lot to ask of DBs early on in the game. I thought LSU did a, you know, did a pretty good job with it, but I think there was just so much pressure. And as you said, it was a hot night in there. Um, LSU was the one that got banged up. LSU had, at least two, if not three offensive linemen, you know, positions. It was either one point Austin Deculus, who's their most experienced offensive lineman. He was out of the game. So right tackle spot, the left tackle, Cam Wire, he got banged up. So he was out of there. Uh, guards were rotating in and they struggled with the pressure that UCLA's defense really was hitting them with. And it's, it's interesting just because the whole narrative Ron UCLA seems to be flipped in a rel- you know, pretty quick now because it wasn't that long ago where everybody hated Jerry Azanero as the defensive coordinator here. And now last year they were actually pretty good on defense. And to me, that was the more surprising thing last night than what happened with the UCLA offense. Like I didn't think LSU was like, you know, that was kind of what I expected to happen. What I didn't expect to happen was LSU's offense, with the exception of Butte, and in particular, the run game was so bottled up. That, to me, was the big surprise. Now, look, John Emery, who's the, probably their most talented running back, they found out right before the game he was not going to be able to play. Um, so that was, I think, a, was a blow. And also, as I mentioned, the offensive line had all sorts of issues, both injury and just performance-wise, but really, really um, fun night in the Coliseum, not for, not for certainly LSU, but just to be there and see it. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Really fun nights, to in the Rose Bowl, Not maybe not for LSU, certainly, but just to be at UCLA, this, this fan base, I think they really woke up and came to life. And I thought, you know, look, a credit to UCLA administration wise, they, I thought they did a really good job of generating a lot of enthusiasm and atmosphere in the building. It was just so much different than it's been. And I think they're onto something. It, I forgot how fun it is to see Chip Kelly when he's winning, because I feel like the first three years, I mean, first of all, everybody made a big deal last week when they beat Hawaii, that was his first non-conference win since he's been there. Those first two years, they got they played Oklahoma, they played Cincinnati, they lost to Fresno State. Uh, it was miserable. And I also just so everybody was wondering, hey, what happened to the guy who had that amazing offense at Oregon? But also just like his personality, he it just he just kind of I felt like he kind of um, uh, went into a ball a little bit, wasn't showing anything. Well, you could just tell like from the outset Um he, he looked like he was having a lot of fun. You said that right before we started coming on the, sh- on the, on the pod. I love this storyline. It's, it's an underrated storyline, but he ditched the visor for the first three seasons uh, when they were with Under Armour. He, now they're with Jordan Brand. He brought the, the visor back out, and it's like, oh, that's right. That's what he, that was his signature look at Oregon. And as soon as he brought the visor back, <laughs> back comes the powerful rushing offense that we used to see at Oregon. I think the interesting thing is how we're going to get into the, some of the miserable uh, performances in the PAC 12 in a little bit, but like 
I thought coming into this year, success for UCLA would be get to a bowl game, you know, three straight losing seasons. They can get to seven and five, but, or even eight and four, uh, that's progress. But you, you're looking around the Pac-12 after yesterday, you know, UCLA, you're thinking we could win this conference or, you know, at the very least they could win that division and possibly the conference um, if they're going to have, if they're going to continue to run the ball down people's throats and, and, and stuff the other team's run game. You know, UCLA, LSU last year, the issue was the secondary, right? They just kept getting shredded. Yesterday, the issue was they just got physically uh, dominated up front. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'm on record. I think UCLA was going to win the Pac-12 South. And I obviously, I still think that. Um, but you're right. To me, the difference between, I think UCLA is a legit top 25 team. I think, and probably better than that. But I think they become a team that can win the Pac-12 overall. And it's a long way from that. If Dorian Thompson Robinson, their quarterback, continues to play clean, meaning just doesn't have some big mistakes. And and if he kind of gets into more of a rhythm, um, then I think they become a a possible top 10 team. Because he is really gifted. And you see flashes where you're like, whoa, he, he, he's a great fit for what they want to do. It's just at times, I think it's managing. I had an interesting conversation with him this week about how to play within yourself and the challenges that kind of come with being disciplined enough where you don't try to constantly do too much and you know, play hero ball. And he said, it, you know, it's, it's hard as a young quarterback when – you're really trying to figure out who you are. And a lot of times he goes, you don't even know when he first became really the quarterback of the team. It was like a lot of the people, you don't even really know who they are and they don't know who you are. So it's like, it's a weird mix of what do, what do I want to be? This is because again, this is a guy who did not play a lot of quarterback in high school. Uh, He was a wide receiver then played because he was at Bishop Gorman where Tate Martell was and, then the last year he played quarterback. And I think his real evolution of what, you know, where, what he can be in this offense with such a physical run game. I mean, Joshua Kelly was a really good running back. And obviously Demetri Felton was a good running back, and, but they were different. This is a physical one, two punch between Britton Brown. Everybody says there just runs angry. And you have Charbonnet who has great vision is physical can can make people miss um man it's going to be fun and i i think what you said is spot on i have not done any college football game where there's the head coach seems like he's having as much fun as chip kelly does and did last night in games you know like you just see so many guys where it's like they are sweating it out in the delivery room you know essentially and you know not say they don't get excited when their players make big plays But I think what he seems to uh, relish more than anything is I I am in the chess match and I got the answers and you can't um, you can't be right. You know, I think he loves that aspect of it as much as anything. Right. And I think there's there's an element of that that just like kind of washes over him. Like, I mean, I'm on the UCLA sideline a lot of the second half last night and he is 
Like it's weird because in some ways it doesn't look like it just feels different than it does on any other coach. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong because they're, they got to kind of go with what their own personalities are, you know, and however they are, they are, but it's, you know, I think if, if you probably are not a UCLA fan or you're not a Chip Kelly fan, you're like, man, he looks really smug or whatever. It's, you know, maybe there's some, some parts of Spurrier in that, uh, ironically, the visor connection there. But I just feel like because he's so involved in the chess match, a lot of head coaches, you know, obviously Lincoln Riley is, um, Dan Mullen, Mike Leach, they are, Gary Patterson, but because they're so t- ingrained into, into especially one side of the ball. But I, I mean that's what they are taking on his personality now. And I think when you're able to do that, when that happens at a team and a program, then special things can happen. So look, it's only, it's only week two for them and we'll see how they build on it. Now, of course, week one is, is, you know, wild overreaction week and I'm adding a new uh, title to it. It's fire everyone week. Uh, So many, so many fan bases yesterday just ready to be done with their head coach after one bad loss. But I kind of saw this coming with it. It was wrong. He got one mulligan year last year. Uh, you know, he, he led arguably the greatest season a college football team had ever had in 2019. And everybody was talking about how he proved the doubters wrong. Everybody who thought he could never be successful as the head coach of LSU because of his, his Ole Miss time. And then they they tanked last year, but it was like, okay, he just won the national title year the year before. We can't really get on him too much. Well, you open the the next season with a bad law. I mean, UCLA is I think going to turn out to be a pretty good team, and and it won't seem such a like such a bad loss. But clearly, they went there expecting to win, and uh, you know, uh, the SEC is crazy. People want to fire their coaches every so often. We'll see how it all plays out. But needless to say, like this was the moment I think where he lost the benefit of the doubt, and they can still turn around and have a really good season, like you said. Mr. What, by the way, what did you what did you pick that predict them to your? your I think uh, I had for? them nine and three, um, and that's certainly still very attainable. Uh, you know, I think I, I think probably what's demoralizing is okay. You had such a bad defense last year. You you made the coaching change, got rid of Bo Pelini, and then you go out in the first game and get run over on defense in a different way than you know last year was more of the past. But um, you know, you're LSU, you recruit all these four and five star defensive linemen. That's not supposed to happen to you, and certainly not against a team from the uh looked down upon West Coast. So I think uh I don't think you're giving UCLA enough credit if you're like what the team, like physically, what, what, because we nobody saw last believes night. I mean, little... yes, I believe it after what I saw yesterday, but, uh, you know how the SEC views the rest of the country and certainly I do. I, I think well. it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, like to me, last, uh, last year, I thought the the loss, the way they lost to Mississippi State, I don't want to use the word inexcusable because it's like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I mean, they lost their best player, you know, Derek Stingley before the game. But you knew or you should have known exactly what Mike Leach and, and Mississippi State was going to do because that is Mike Leach doesn't deviate. That is what he does. When it comes to UCLA, you also had a first-time defensive – you had first-time play callers on both sides – on offense and defense. 
Um, I don't think that, I think they had an idea what, what you said was going to do, but I think it was a much different challenge. You know, in addition, obviously they had the week where they're in, you know, in, in Houston coming off of hurricane Ida. So I think there were some unique challenges to it, but I thought uh, to me, I am, if I was an LSU fan, I would be less freaked out about the defense and saying the defense is going to be as bad as it was last year. Cause I don't think it will be. I think it'll be a lot better. The thing that would concern me the most is the offensive line is really shaky. There's not a lot of depth. How good can they be running the football uh, with a very suspect offensive line? And quite honestly, it was like, we need to see from them if they're going to get a lot better, especially, I don't know how, what the status is going to be with John Emery, but going forward, but if they can't find more of a feature running back uh, to go behind that offensive line, they'll still put up a lot of points because Max Johnson, I think is a really good quarterback I think he's only going to get better and better. And their receiving core, I think, is going to be really, really good. I mean, Butte is a great player. So I think on that side of it, to me, it's I – th- I think they're an 8-4, and 9-3 and three kind of team, especially when you look at the schedule that they play coming out. The schedule is much more manageable for them this year than it was last year. I mean, I'd be surprised if they – we're not at least three, we're not three and one going, you know, when Auburn comes to visit, I don't think Auburn is a particularly, you know, typical Auburn team, you know, so a lot can change. I would, I would wait till we get to early October. Now look, if they somehow lose to Ogeron's son as a starting quarterback at McNeese state, if they somehow struggle there and then they lose to central Michigan or struggle with them and then lose to Starkville, lose in Starkville, then I, then I think, yeah, I would be, if I was an LSU fan, I'd be panicking more. But, you know, I've said this before, and obviously, full disclosure, I wrote a book with Ed Ogeron, so take it for what it's worth. But he's not the same coach that he was at Mississippi State. I mean, sorry, at at Ole Miss. I mean, he's just, you know, grown a lot of ways. But I think at the same time, you know, they have real issues that they need to get straightened out on the offensive line. And to me, they – that will be the difference between whether they are a seven or eight win team or, they're a, or they can win nine or ten. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Bruce, let me tell you a team that has even bigger offensive line issues. The Clemson Tigers. So same, so while you were at the Rose Bowl uh, working that game, there was a just a little bit of a football game going on in Charlotte. Uh, between two of the top five teams in the country, two teams expected to be right in the thick of the national title conversation. And I, I, I knew it would be a, a you know a hard-fought game. I would not have guessed that it would be a game with zero offensive touchdowns. Um, it looked on TV, I talked to Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer, she confirmed, it looked like the atmosphere you would expect at like the SEC championship. You know, it's a neutral site game in Charlotte. Uh, fairly split evenly among the fans. John, were you at this game? You're in Charlotte. Did you go? I was not at the game, but I did drive through the the scene in uptown mm-hmm. Charlotte. And it was, it was absolutely wild. Um, Georgia Clemson fans everywhere. It was just, you could tell people were just kind of celebrating the fact that Coswell was back. And then you know, as far as bank of America stadium in Charlotte is concerned, that's really, post pandemic if you if you can say that uh the first real big time event that that stadium has hosted in, in a long time and it was it was really really fun to see but it was wild in uptown charlotte to me sitting at home watching all these games this weekend the the thing that was the most noticeable and the most frankly gratifying was sold out crowds and college football truly being back we we had a season last year it didn't feel like a real season because you didn't have the atmosphere and whether it was Wisconsin fans doing jump around for the first time in two years, Virginia tech coming out to enter Sandman uh, that crowd in Charlotte, which looked phenomenal. um, You know, it's back. And, and I know, you know, we're pandemic's not over, but I think uh, we've learned that outdoor big outdoor events can be done safely. And, it was great. To, it was just great to see, you know, and I can't, I'm going to Ohio state, Oregon next week. I'm, I'm looking forward to being at one of these big, um, big raucous stadiums, but um, yeah. So Georgia Clemson uh, to me, this game for Georgia was the, uh, the culmination of four or five years of, of all these great recruiting classes and all these five stars and us hearing about how they look like an NFL team, but you didn't really, ever really see it on the field or certainly not in big games. Um, in this game, Georgia DJ Uyunglele never had a chance. He was under constant duress. I, I will say he held on the ball too long sometimes, but he was sacked seven times. And I, as it was going, I'm looking up these guys recruiting profiles, six different players had sacks for Georgia and they're all former five stars. This was, you know, kind of a dream team defense. Now it's not like Georgia, Georgia's offense was out there rolling either. I will say they did have more um, like Clemson couldn't do anything on offense, which is really surreal because we're so used to seeing 
Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and them putting up 40, 50 points on, on people. Um, but Georgia at least had a, a bit of a running game and JT Daniels, you know, he wasn't bad. It's just that, and this is a credit to Clemson's defense. They couldn't, they couldn't break one open. Uh, Clemson's defense was, was phenomenal in terms of open field tackles. So that's how you end up with a 10 to three score, but Bruce, what do we make of this is the first time Clemson has lost back-to-back games in 10 years and a similar issue with both. I think, I think the Ohio state game last year is the reason why Clemson went into this year with questions about their offensive line. Those questions did not get answered against Georgia. It was actually even worse than we could have imagined. I still think they're probably one of the most talented programs in the country. I think they're still going to dominate the ACC. Um, but we're not seeing we're seeing a big deficiency on an offense that used to be one of, if not the best in the country. Well, full disclosure, I did not watch any of that game. I couldn't because I was uh, at my game. So I'd be lying if I could give you some kind of great insight into what happened on the field. So I'm going to I'm going to get to your question in a second. Um, like the first thing I would say on that is. Look at their schedule, man. It's like South South Carolina State next, then Georgia Tech, who just lost to a Mac school at NC State. NC State, could, you know, is like talented. I think NC State is probably the most talented team they're going to play in the regular season. They're not a ranked team. I'm sorry, you know, after this point, obviously. So I don't, you know, they could be everything you said about really, really inferior on the offensive line. Um, you know, that the, that the Georgia defensive front dominated so much that really it bailed out maybe, you know, the Clemson receivers against the Georgia secondary, I think was a concern for some people close to the Georgia program. Um, but because the front seven was so dominant, I think that changed everything, you know, and they just couldn't protect there were various Georgia was playing a freshman cornerback who, who seemed to be matched up a lot against Justin Ross. You talk about a complete mismatch, but they couldn't take advantage of it. Yeah. So, so there's that, that part of it. I think like my guess is Clemson is going to be fine in the ACC. The question is how much be- how much can they improve from the beginning of the year to when we think they will be in the playoff um, by the way. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, jump the script already if, if you and John have something different in mind, but like the two teams that I thought would give Clemson the, the biggest challenge, Miami and, and uh, North Carolina both looked awful this past weekend. So, um, you know, we can talk about the, we can talk about the PAC 12 North being, being abysmal. It was a bad week for Jim Phillips's ACC conference. Yeah. I mean, because the three schools that you thought were going to be really good and one you thought was going to be great did not look well. Great. The Pac 12 at least had UCLA. Um, you know, the ACC had two. Now, the ACC still has, as of, of this recording, still has two more uh, teams playing non conference games here, though they are in Florida State, Notre Dame. Florida State's the underdog there. Louisville, Ole Miss, Louisville's the underdog there. So it, we'll see what happens. But um, look, UNC Virginia Tech was a conference game. Obviously, it's hard to. It's one of those games where we'll we'll see six weeks from now what it really means. But I've been saying on here for some time. I thought the the hype around UNC had 
was, was way too far ahead of where they actually are as a program. And, um, you know, Sam Howell did not play well. He was under, that was another one where, and it was a little puzzling because UNC actually does have a veteran offensive line, but that was another game where the O-line was just completely overwhelmed. Sam Howell did not play well. Um, just really a, a big win for Justin Fuente, who's been under, under the heat there. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's talk Alabama, Miami for a second, because honestly, you know, Alabama beat the living daylight out of Miami. And, and I don't know that that means Miami's bad. We'll find out that that's just, that's what Alabama does to these teams in these season openers. But I will say it's, it's wild. I mean, you look at who they lost off that offense from last season, guys that are going to be starting week one in the NFL, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devonte Smith, et cetera. And they just plug in new guys and go um, Bryce young looked great. He was uh, now you mentioned, I think on here last week, that offensive line and Evan Neal, um, you know, he had plenty of time to throw. He was under no pressure. Um, I think it's crazy that Jamison Williams was in Ohio state's receiver room this spring transferred because it's such a loaded receiver room that he wasn't necessarily going to be one of the top guys and was clearly their, their a one receiver um, against Miami. He had a 94 yard touchdown catch. Um, I don't you know. Let's wait and see if, 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 what, what Miami turns out to be and how much of an indicator that really was. I, I will say this. I don't know why anybody agrees to play Alabama in those neutral site openers. They just kill people in those games, which is mostly the fact that they have really good players. But I also just think that Nick Saban and that operation, they're always going to be well-prepared for a game. So you give them eight months to prepare for a game and like, good Lord. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to hate to do this to you, but I want to just circle back one thing after what you saw last night. Like Clemson was my pick to win the national title, or is my pick mine to win the too? <laughs> um, are you just are are you if you had would you like a mulligan after what you saw last night? Yeah, probably. But what's going to be frustrating now is you can already see how this is going to play out. They're going to start looking good. They're going to be blowing people out. And are they going to be fools gold? Yeah, you're just not going to know because it's the ACC. And in fact, I could see when they start doing those playoff ranking shows and if, if Clemson keeps winning, you, you know what the talking point will be. Well, we saw them week one. They're not actually that good. They shouldn't be ranked this high, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they can't afford to lose an ACC game. That's for sure. They'll have to run the table and then we'll have to see who they're being compared with. But if I was doing a, you know, complete week one overreaction, who's your national champion pick now? It would be the winner of the inevitable um, Alabama, Georgia. SEC oh no! Let's game. let's let's give you the mulligan right now. Never say overreaction. Just say, "All right, Stu, let's pretend that like you, your your internet was down and you couldn't file your your preseason national title picks, but now you can rewrite them." Who's your preseason national? Who's your national champ? Alabama, um, because don't, you don't have to say anymore. I I. I yeah, I'd mulligan that one too. Because here's the thing: as much as that offense looked great, so did the defense. Uh, well, we expected the defense. Like we expected the defense to be as good as it's been in a long time in Tuscaloosa. I'm yes. not surprised about that. They so. did suffer a big injury, Christopher Allen, um, who had the great bookend uh, pass rusher with 
uh, you know, on the opposite side of Will Anderson, Will Anderson. is yeah. out for the season, apparently. Um, and that's, that's a big blow, but there's so many other guys on that defense. And now I don't want to dis there. I will, let's be fair. Texas A&M, you know, played Kent state yesterday. So we don't really know yet fully what we have from them. I did actually watch a bit of that game. Haynes King threw three interceptions and it didn't even matter. Um, they ran for 300 yards on that team, which you can say, okay, it's a Mac team. They should do that. That Mac team led the country in yards per game last year. They had a great offense and AM completely shut them down. So I'm willing to be open to the possibility that maybe AM, that this could finally be the year they beat Alabama, but Alabama until proven otherwise. Uh, you mentioned Haynes King. I got to admit, I was in route to the Rose Bowl, so I got to see like maybe like three minutes of Texas, Louisiana. Um, Hudson Card, though, from all accounts, looked very good. I know I ended up hyping him up quite a bit in my story last week. What's your feeling on on Sark's start there? It was good. I I, um, I said this on Twitter. It, it made you realize. I felt like throughout the Tom Herman era, um, every t- every time I watched Texas, it was an absolute roller coaster. It would be they get down to the one yard line and somebody fumbles. They would uh, they they would their drive would be looking good and then there's penalty after penalty. Um, they they play great against Oklahoma and then look terrible against uh, TCU. Right? It was just an absolute roller coaster. Sarks, the biggest thing, takeaway from Sark's first game is they just went out there and took care of business against a Louisiana team that we both think is going to be pretty good. Um, he, he said Bijan Robinson was going to be the focal point of the offense. He absolutely was. He had 25 touches. Uh, I believe he's already won a national player of the week award. So yeah, I mean, I'm not, don't, don't even think about doing the Texas is back thing yet by any means, but it was an impressive it was it was a lot different than the Tom Herman Maryland openers, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. I was on the sideline for one of those. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. It was a big week in the Big Ten, Bruce. It was uh, It was a fun week in the Big Ten, yeah, too. Because they were, actually there went some... out and played big conference games right from week one. Starting Thursday. I mean, actually, heck, let's say starting week zero with the uh, Illinois-Nebraska. Hey, how about my upset special coming through? UTSA uh, went up there and took care of the Illini. Uh, I did not get to see any of that game. I didn't see a lick of that game. I just saw the score and smiled. But 
Um, credit to Sam Khan, our tech expert, who turned me on to UTSA and, you know, that they're going to be uh, to keep an eye on them. He's been singing their praises and sure enough, big win against a big 10 team. Um, but let's talk. Okay. You had Ohio state, Minnesota on Thursday, you had Penn state, Wisconsin with a, just that, that was a great game. Uh, no other way around it. Uh, I think the most surprising one, Iowa crushing Indiana, the feel good story, of 2020, although you've been very high on Iowa. So, um, oh, I almost forgot Michigan State Northwestern, where Kenneth Walker, the Wake Forest transfer, just went off for, I believe, 284 yards. So, all right, that. If you've been reading about our transfer portal rankings, you would know Michigan you know State was super Kenneth. high on Kenneth Walker the third. Yes. What um, do you can, what what's one thing you feel about the Big Ten race now that you didn't before Thursday? That was not the question I was expecting you to ask. Um, what was the question you thought I was going to? No, I, like so, I I thought you were going to go in who like impressed you the most or what the okay. Like, I'll be honest. So, so and you don't get to say like Ohio State's receivers. No, no, and look, I thought oh, I. Ohio State, Minnesota was pretty much everything I expected it to be. And not to I mean like it was the greatest game of all time, but it was like Ohio State's receivers looked really good. Minnesota's defense looked on the back end looked really slow. And um Ohio State's defense honestly looked like it's something that should be a concern if you're gonna be a you know a national title contender. The thing that I guess um really stood out to me was I think this is a good, still a good Indiana team and they got just blown off the field by Iowa and Iowa's defense looked really, really good. I mean, you picked off Michael Penix jr. Three times. Um, it felt like they could never really get much of a rhythm going the run game. I don't think Stephen Carr, the USC transfer, I mean, he couldn't get anything going. Um, they hit big runs with Tyler Goodson. I think, you know, I think they're a top 10 team. I really do. That's why it's crazy. But like, I'm, I'm as interested in Iowa, Iowa state as I am Ohio state, Oregon or Oregon, Ohio state, obviously Oregon going to Columbus. But I, just because I think Iowa is really that good this year. Um, so if it, asking me to, you know, like what I know about or what I think about the Big Ten coming off of week one, I'm not sure anything much changed for me. Like I thought, you know, I watched all the Penn State uh, Wisconsin game. I guess the thing I would say is maybe Wisconsin, the way they, you know, they were so limited on trying to get any big plays. And when, whereas Penn State, Jahan Dotson got behind their defense. Like I thought, I, I thought Penn State, you know, Wisconsin's defense, albeit without uh, Chanel, one of their best defensive players, who's out for a couple of weeks with COVID. But, you know, that game is at Wisconsin. Um, to me, my two big takeaways was Iowa looked every bit as not better than I thought they would. And that was a hell of a win for Penn State. It was. I mean, after the disaster that was last season. And I think the low point was when they got crushed by Maryland and you're looking out there going, what happened? They're usually so good on defense. Um, 
they looked great on defense. They swarmed to the ball. They had a lot of big plays. They, I mean, look at the end of the game, Wisconsin had two chances to win the game and both ended with uh, interceptions inside the 10. I think the big disappointment, if you're somebody like me who picked Wisconsin to win the West and had them as a top 10 team, uh, we've just been assuming that Graham Mertz was going to come back out. And I mean, he, he, ever since that glorious debut game against Illinois, it's like, oh, they finally have a quarterback who can throw the ball downfield. Um, you know, he didn't play well. Now he was under constant pressure. But, you know, last year, I think a excuse, if you want to call it that, was that his, his receivers were injured now for you know, his top receivers. This is a veteran Wisconsin offense who has back most of its offensive line, all of its top receivers, uh, and, and Penn State basically shut them down. The one puzzling thing was their most impressive running back last year as a freshman was Jalen Berger. And he just was not even part of the rotation Saturday. Um, it was mostly Ches Maluzzi, the Clemson transfer getting, you know, the main uh, bulk of it. Jalen Berger never carried once. And Paul Chris was asked about afterward and just said, well, he, the other two were playing well. So uh, we'll see what, what, how that plays out over the season, but um, you know, Iowa looked good. Iowa had two pick sixes. Uh, and I think the interesting thing, as you mentioned that Iowa, Iowa state game next week, which is just going to be absolutely bonkers in Ames because when have they ever uh, played both ranked this high is that Iowa state kind of slept walked against Northern Iowa, which I feel like is happens every year <laughs> in their opener. Uh, they, they just, for whatever reason, never look great in their opening game. And so the team that's the trendy playoff pick came out not looking so great. The other team, Iowa, couldn't have looked better. It makes for just a great setup to that game where there, to me, there's no clear favorite. Either team could win it. Um, whereas the Ohio State-Oregon game suddenly feels not uh, anything but a toss-up game. I never say never, but I watched a lot of the Oregon-Fresno State game. Um and I don't think, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau got, <clears throat> Kayvon Thibodeau got hurt early and they were actually, you know, he's out there in a boot and you're concerned that it's a pretty serious injury. Fortunately, it's a sprain. We'll yeah, see. We expect, we would expect him to play this weekend from what I'm hearing. Okay. That's, that's, that's a relief for Oregon fans, but that wasn't really the issue against Fresno state. Um, the issue is exactly what I thought it was going to be going to the season. I don't know that Anthony Brown is a, a high level enough quarterback to go on the road into the horseshoe and win a game where they're going to have to score points because Ohio state's going to score points because Ohio state has this ridiculous set of running backs and receivers. I am not sure my, my hunch is Oregon held a bunch of stuff back in their game plan that they have for. That would make sense. Um, And I do think though, they cut it really close. Yeah, they did cut it close, right? I, I do think um, Fresno State is very good on offense. Jake Hayner's really slings it around well. They have good skill guys. I'm not surprised. That was a game. If this, like, I didn't want to do my, they weren't going to be my upset special. It was a 20 point spread, but I was like, this, I don't know why this spread's that high. It should have been like 10 or, you know, so. And um, so that was an easy, that was like to me, my best bet of a, of a, call going into the weekend just because I th- I really think that much of Fresno State on offense and also it felt like a trap game because 
again, when you have such a big road game looming that everybody's been talking about for two years, I think that that kind of factored into it. Well, we can we can nitpick Oregon's close win. The fact is they did win, which in the Pac-12 was not necessarily common on Saturday, especially in that division. It's interesting. Did you know, I looked back, only once in 10 years has the South champion won the Pac-12 championship game. Just once. We're just so used to it being Oregon or Stanford back in the day or Washington um, that it's a bit jarring to, to wake up after Saturday and realize, oh, I think the South is actually a lot better than the North. USC took care of business against a good San Jose State team. Utah took care of business against their uh, FCS opponent, et cetera, UCLA, obviously. But the Pac-12 North went one in five. That's not good. Um, and, and, and including some really embarrassing losses with um, most notably Washington scoring seven points against Montana and losing to an FCS foe. Uh, Washington State blows it at the end against Utah State, who was terrible last season. Cal played Nevada, and we knew Nevada has Carson Strong, and, and there's a potential there. I'm the least. I was that was the least surprising outcome for me. It was only surprising to me in that it was 22 to 17. It wasn't like Carson Strong went and just blitzed them. Cal's offense is still just as bad as it's been throughout uh, Justin Wilcox's tenure. Stanford laid a complete egg against Kansas State, uh, almost got shut out. Oregon State lost at Purdue. I don't. I'm not, I don't think that's like shameful in any way, but anyway, one in five. Um, and the thing is that the problem for the PAC 12, which already fights this perception problem next week was supposed to be the week where they either make a statement or, uh, or doesn't right. You have with the Oregon Ohio state game and also with Washington going to Michigan, they couldn't even make it out of week one without uh, falling all over themselves. So I'm going to take a slightly different tact on this. I don't think, yes, it doesn't help them that, that, that uh, Cal loses to the Mountain West school. And it certainly doesn't help them, you know, when your lower teams like uh, Oregon State loses to a lower, what we think is a lower Purdue team in the, in the Big Ten. Washington is, a, is the blow because oh, yeah. I think Washington is, is an up, is expe- it needs to be one of the four best teams in the league. Um, Stanford looked awful against. K-State, but I honestly feel like and you and I have had some offline discussions about this, but it just feels like Stanford has backslid a lot in the last three years. I didn't have like really high expectations for them coming into the year. So what I'm going to say about this is if Oregon can beat Ohio State, everything is be competitive. Yeah, because honestly, I think if I and, you know, I ran into George Klyovkov late last night after the game, uh, leaving the stadium. But if I'm him and you were asked, which would you rather have your conference lose most of your, you know, non-ranked teams in out-of-conference games or the teams you think are top 25 teams win those, I would take the latter. To me, UCLA looking like they're a top 15 team beating LSU on national TV, you know, in a big audience, I think does a lot more than some of the other things, honestly, like unless you're doing this podcast, or unless you're, you know, a fan of one of the schools involved, I'm not sure you even know some of those outcomes. Like I, I came home from my, my game and I was still wound up. So I watched, you know, the Utah state Washington state game and, 
you know, like just as Kyle Bonagura, um, who covers, who's covers the pac 12 or covers all of college football for ESPN.com. But, um, he had a tweet that I saw right before I went to bed, which is basically like Nick Rolovich has performed like a master class and how to like alienate and disappoint a fan base. And man, like to lose that game, given everything I built up, I mean, like that is that, that hire for all sorts of reasons, I think has just been, had to be such a disappointment for the people inside that program, especially to see not just off the field, but now on the field as well. Um, it's, you know, that was a kind of a gut punch, I'm sure to that fan base again. So I don't know, again, I, I think it's really going to be defined. If, you, if you're the PAC 12, your reputation was already on the floor. It, you know, that's not going to help, but I feel like the one thing that'll help more than anything, them winning, like if they had held serve on those, you know, Washington beats Montana or whatever, I don't think that now if Oregon had lost to Fresno state, yeah, then I think it's a big deal. But right now to me, I feel like if you're the PAC 12, the, the place, the ones that matter is what UCLA does, what USC does, what Oregon does. And Utah's got the big rivalry game this week against BYU. First of all, credit to whoever runs the Reddit CFB account for one of the all-time great Twitter one-liners last night because uh, Utah State scored uh, with very little time left. He says, Washington State, well, one final shot. Rolovich probably won't take it. Jeez. Um, <laughs> hey, I want to uh, go off script for a second, I think. Um, the two guys, the two, like, surest thing – Heisman guys going into the season, I would argue. Um, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. Two touchdowns, five interceptions in their games in week one. DJ Uyunglele is also very high on this list. But DJ hasn't played. These other guys have I mean, DJ played a little bit. But these other guys are like, it wasn't like this is like, oh, taking over the team. And obviously in Sam Howell's case, he has a lot of skill guys to replace. But, you know, like I said, both of those guys, less than – you know, very underwhelming starts to their seasons. I'm not worried about Spencer Rattler. Uh, I know that that ended up being a weird game where Tulane and, and credit to Tulane who had to move this game from uh, new Orleans to Norman and had to relocate to practice and, and almost pulled it off at the end, but I'm not, I'm not too worried about Spencer Rattler. Um, I think it was more alarming to see Sam Howell. So overwhelmed by a conference opponent. All right, you mentioned Oklahoma, Bruce. It, we, we can't get through the whole podcast without mentioning realignment. It was in the news, Big 12 realignment. It was in the news quite a bit on Thursday and Friday because suddenly, you know, I think, I don't know, even as recently as a week ago, we thought the Big 12 might take its time in deciding what to do next. But I think like the, um, the back-to-back of the alliance being formed and then the Pac-12 coming out formally and saying we're not going to expand, it was kind of the wake-up call for those eight schools. It's not just we're looking into expansion, It's uh, and, and this was reported by many people, confirmed by The Athletic on Friday. This is going to happen this coming week. They are going to uh, invite BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. And I'm impressed because if, if – they really botched it in 2016. I thought they should have taken at least a couple of those schools. Um, if you were asked me who, which four should they take? It's those four. Uh, you, I've been, 
you and I, when I, I was Googling, cause I know that I talked about UCF for big 12, like years ago, I couldn't believe just how long ago it was Bruce. We had a discussion and I only know this because a UCF site aggregated it. You and I had a discussion on the audible in 2015. Is this pre Scott Frost? Not only is it pre Scott Frost, it was the spring before they went winless. Um, in which we both said, and I don't even remember what what brought this up. I guess at that time it was constantly somewhat on people's minds where they were going to expand. But we both said that UCF is the program we would that would be number one on our list. And for all the reasons that have played out, it's uh, it's a it's 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 not even a sleeping giant anymore. It's 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 awoken. It was fun watching that UCF Boise game the other night. They have a they have a big time atmosphere at the bounce house. They've now got. Gus Miles on as their coach. Um, they're in a in a in a huge city in a great recruiting area. That's a no brainer to me. Cincinnati is a no brainer to me. Um, BYU. There was last time around. It was some of their uh, off the field policies, if you will, that I think scared off the Big Twelve. But they're in a different position now. They absolutely need to expand. You know, BYU has always been a Power Five program in in every aspect other than the actual membership, 64,000 seat stadium, um, great athletic department across the board, Heisman winner, national championship, so on. I think the one that's up for the most debate was the fourth spot, just because I think the Texas schools that are still in the conference probably have some pretty mixed feelings about bringing Houston in, um, that that could actually harm them in terms of recruiting. But at the end of the day, it just, it makes too much sense not to. So can I um, add one thing? Yeah. So what I was told by somebody in the big 12 was I said, why is it moved so fast? And one of the biggest things was they really wanted to stop the narrative that the league was falling apart and they felt like this was going to make them much more viable going forward. And the last part you said, which is about the Texas schools in Houston, because I was interested in that dynamic, especially and it sounded like they all just came around to the idea that this is in the best interest of the Big 12 and let's ride with it. And what you've seen is all the schools that we're talking about have had success with a variety of coaches. This isn't like, oh, Iowa State got great under Matt Campbell kind of thing. It's more like, hey, you know, Houston had success under Kevin Sumlin. They had success under Tom Herman. They had success under Tony Levine. And they, you know, had some also some, a little bit of success under Ma Major Applewhite. So... I think there's that and there are, and this is, this is the part that I think is like, you know, you hear different things on people, you know, in the, in this space, I would say is yes, there are some big markets there or Orlando, Cincinnati, and certainly uh, Houston. The question is how much do those programs really uh, like Houston for the TV people is really seen as AM country, not necessarily UH country. Uh, Orlando, right. Like to me, that one does feel different. You know, it does feel like they have gotten a foothold there and the fan base has really gotten behind the program. And so, I don't know, that was a fun game the other night, by the way, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. Cause I guess it was, I don't know if it was Thursday night, but, um, it was a good game to watch on Pacific time. Okay. Like, like, <laughs> okay. All I know. Yeah. I came home and I was like, I was at Joe Davis's house. We watched the, the Ohio state game and then got home. And I was like, Ooh, this is only in the third quarter. I can watch the whole, you know, the whole thing. And it was, uh, can I just say one thing about that UCF game? Yes. It's puzzling to me. Isaiah Bowser 
had a great freshman year at Northwestern and then was almost never heard from again. Is this your way to get a shot in at Mick McCall? (laughs) No, because Mick McCall wasn't even there last year. And he's, you know, Northwestern had a great season last year and Isaiah Bowser wasn't even a big part of it. He went off. He's now at UCF and he went off in that game. Uh, I think he had the, he had clearly the best game of his career in his first game at UCF. So good for him. Gus is, you know what? People knock Gus a lot. Um, Gus running backs can thrive in what Gus does. I mean, Trey, I remember yes. Trey Mason ran for like a thousand yards in the SEC title game, like 10 years ago or whatever. It's just, he, if I was a running back, I'd probably want to play for Gus miles on. I also, so, so I, everything you said about why they're doing this so fast makes sense. I also think the, the playoff meeting is coming up on September 28th where they're going to, who knows what's going to come out of that. I don't think they're going to rubber stamp the 12 team playoff, but they're going to debate some of the details. And I think it's good for the big 12 to go into that meeting, being able to say, this is the conf- this is the lineup we're going to have whenever we actually expand this thing. And it's unclear on when, how soon they can even get these schools in there. The AAC schools are supposed to by, by rule give 27 months notice, which would be, which would make 2024 the earliest they could join. We'll see if that can be negotiated down. I would think the biggest issue for BYU is they've got all these schedules built out. They're an independent. They have to schedule, you know, not just a few games a year in advance. They got to schedule 12. Um, So here's my question. Uh, You know, gosh, I've been hearing from a lot of Iowa State fans, West Virginia fans, you name it. They're sick of hearing how they have no value in realignment. They're, ticked at me because i wrote about the tv ratings fairly early on there you know yesterday there were a lot of snarky tweets when stanford lost to kansas state about oh this is the conference that's supposed it's never been about on field you know put aside how much money they're going to get in their tv contract who you know that's you know yes that drives realignment but i think that on the field that 12 team conference will be a pretty good conference We'll follow that story this week and see if the Big 12 can get that all wrapped up. Looking forward to watching the rest of the Labor Day weekend games, Bruce, and then uh, come back here for week two and come back for our second episode later this week. That's the one where we delve into the mailbag. So be sure to send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 